Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome back to AusBiz, Australia's only live streaming business and market channel. Great to have your company. Just gone midday, Australian Eastern Standard Time. Of course, that is time for the call. Uh, 10 stocks which you suggest and send in and you want reviewed. We bring up with the bring the two experts onto the panel and we get through them all in 60 minutes. And uh, one of my favourite panels uh, today, we welcome uh, Mathan Somersandaram from uh, Blue Ocean Equities. Mathan, good to see you. Uh, and his old sparring partner, shall we say, uh, Gaurav Sodi from uh, InvestSmart. Uh, Gaurav, good to see you. Good weekend. Hi, David. Hi. Yeah, great. This is actually the first day I'm thrilled to be at home and not in the office. Yeah, out there. <laughs> exactly right. It is teaming. Um, Nathan said before we went on air, just to ask, can you be kind to him this week? <laughs> just don't, <laughs> don't rile him up too much. <laughs> oh, doesn't sound as though he's going to take any no, prisoners, no, Nathan. Uh, can't wait to... Uh, get your views on our 10 stocks. But hey, let's kick off with our stock of the day. This is a stock that we choose here at Ausbiz that has been in the news. And um, Gaurav Whisper, um, I was reading about it today, up 230% in, uh, in the last eight weeks. It's, a, um, it's sort of a cloud-based um, um, sort of platform system, isn't it? And uh, certainly its founder is looking pretty at the moment. Yeah, this business actually only listed, uh, what, a year ago yeah. or so. Um, and it was, it was a lot smaller then, in fact, uh, than it is now. Um, but it's a company that's been around for a while. I think it started in 2002 or so. Um, got early backing from Telstra and it actually came, um, came IPO'd from Telstra Ventures. So it's got some it's got some um, some big guns in its corner, um, uh, huge contracts with Telstra and with IBM um, and a long list of illustrious customers. We don't own it and we don't actually officially cover it for um, our investors. But the reason for that, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that um, the company doesn't control its own sales channel. So most of its revenue is generated through. Um, a handful of channel partners, Telstra and IBM, for example. And I think that's a risk and a limitation. Right. Um, and um, it's just a very difficult business at this early stage. And it doesn't yet generate, um, it's not really self-funding for the moment. So it's very hard as an outsider to look at the prospects of a, co of a company like this when it's trading at this kind of um, price. A lot of enthusiasm is priced in. And I think that is um, entirely appropriate, but it's it's hard to generate an edge. And our style of investing is really about coming up with an original idea or an insight that others haven't thought of. And I struggle to do that with this kind of company. So for that yeah. reason, you know, we probably 
buy it. But there are, this is an interesting business and it probably uh, deserves a spot for a lot of people. Yeah, and Nathan, on such a low PE, it's really unusual for a tech business, isn't it, in this market? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting model and I think Gaurav uh, put it well. Um, but you have to remember, it is a disaster-related stock and hence we have a disaster so right. everyone can ah, see right. and get their teeth into the upside in yeah. the stock. Um, if coronavirus wasn't there, this is probably going to be where it was before that, which is a lot lower. Right. So um, it's the market struggles to... Um, I suppose, quantify the upside in tech stocks. When those things eventuate, then the upside is in the price. Mm. Right. So where we are in the market at the moment, um, this turned on, from my limited memory, then when Victor, uh, government Victoria started to use it to mass communicate about right. what was happening with coronavirus, then suddenly the market realized, oh, this actually can be monetized. And then customers came on board, ISPs came on board, and there was a lot of a mm. run on it. Right. It is a good model. Um, I do like it. Is a fair bit of the blue sky already in the price? Yes, it is. Um, if things slow the down... P, the PE is still really low, though, isn't it? Yeah. In, in real big growth stories, I tend to not worry about the PE right. so much okay. in the early stage. You're trying to grab market share. You're trying to get to the sustainable model. Um, I don't quite know where the sustainable model will s stabilize on these things. Right. Um, the market is high at the moment, quite stretched, and the tech stocks are leading it. Yeah. And the smaller tech stocks are the ones running harder. Yep. So Whisper is probably one of the hot stocks at this point. Um, so do I want to chase it? Probably not. Yep. Um, it's like saying everything that can work well for them is in the sweet spot, yep. and the market can see okay. it. All so right. it's the most obvious trend market yep. has priced it in. So yep. I think it'll come back. Um, right. It's one when nobody wants to look at you jump in. It's not one you want to chase when it's okay. running like this. So the secret is to get a stock in the sweet spot when that the market can... hasn't realized it yet. Yeah, it doesn't want to look at it. <laughs> yeah. So if you look at this one, I'd say if the, the whole coronavirus settles down and nobody really yeah. cares and the economy is starting to bubble along, you're more worried about bigger things. This will come back right. and you'll get it at a cheaper price. And right. you buy that and wait for the cycle. Okay. All right. There you go. That's our stock of the day on Whisper. Let's get stuck into your 10 stocks. And the first one, sort of sort of related, Nathan, is that you talk about these tech stocks leading the market up. This one certainly has Altium. It's sort of a, a design software, circuit boards, things like that. It's had a hell of a run too. Sure. Um, look, I think Grab and I have had talked about this and probably one of the few yeah. stocks where we both agree. It is a high quality stock in yep. the tech stocks. Um, it was one, we were on it quite early. Uh, we thought it would be taken out at $5, $10, $15, $20, $25, it's still a potential takeover candidate. Right. Um, it's, we really like the management, they've executed well. It, they did give us a, a pseudo downgrade recently. Uh, they do look at a longer term view. I think when I look for tech stocks, I'm looking for platform stocks that can be the base model that survives through the cycle and then they can add on features as they go through. This, right. is, this is one of those ones where I think it's a classic platform stock. I think the upside is quite high. I think you hold this through the cycle. But do, would I want to jump in right now? I think it's a bit overpriced in the short term yeah. because the overall demand cycle is a bit weak um, in the whole space. So I can see that coming back a bit and I would wait for the pullback in the market and buy it. But I think it's a top quality bottle. Right. Okay. Uh, Gaurav? 
David, I wince every time this stock pops up. Um, we had a look at this years ago at about $3 a share <laughs> and passed on it. And, and back then, it was a tiny number three um, in, an, in, in an industry dominated by huge giants. And it had this amazing ambition and, you know, sort of liked the CEO and thought, oh, that's, that's nice and cute that he has such grand plans. Um, but never thought that they would um, end up dominating. I mean, they've actually taken market leadership now. They've overtaken two incumbents who were much better funded, uh, much better organized, and they've defeated them. I think it's extraordinary. But as much as that pains me, um, the real reason it makes me wince is that Nathan told me about it when it was about 10 bucks and <laughs> laid out the case. Um, and I still didn't buy it. <laughs> so he's got one up on me there. Um, we actually bought this during the recent pullback in March. Um, we picked it up for under $30, and I think around there it's very good buying. Yeah. What's really attractive about this now is, you know, when we looked at it years ago, it wasn't clear that, A, that they would achieve market dominance, and then what, what they would do with it. So they already have market dominance now. Um, they have a really interesting plan. What they want to do is, is turn sort of a disparate industry into a... Uh, industry dominated by a single player by integrating um, your sales, um, design and distribution all into the same platform. And once you can integrate different functions onto the single dominant platform, you can turn what is a competitive industry into almost a winner's take all industry. And that's what the market is starting to price in now. That's why this looks quite expensive on any reliable multiple. Um, but that's I, I think that's perfectly adequate because um, you know, they're well on their way to achieving those goals. Um, and I'd be happy to buy this. Hey, look, it's probably run a bit hard, but this is really a 10-year, 15-year story for us. And we're more than happy mm. to continue holding. And, and if you don't mm. have any exposure, I don't think the price is crazy now. Okay. All right. Nathan, so oh. that's a... That's a, that's a good backhanded compliment for you. Mike Scorrave wins. That is, that is the best accolade you can get out of him. Uh, we, we, we tend to shock each other every so often. <laughs> All right. I love it. So there you go, Elizabeth, who, who sent that in as a suggestion. Uh, a tick from both uh, Gorav and Mathan. Mathan sort of fingers crossed, hoping it will get down a bit further. He can afford to say that, uh, a pullback, because he's already set on up before buying into it. But uh, uh, but Gorab saying, yep, even at these prices, it's a three to five year stock. Uh, so thank you for sending in that as a suggestion. Uh, our next stock is, uh, let's go into the private health insurance business and Medibank. Uh, Gorab, what do you think of Medibank Private? We've done a little bit of work on these insurance businesses, um, and there is a big battle going on in this industry at the moment, and it's been really well disguised in this side, this company. So you look at, you, you break apart the margins of this business, and it all looks like everything is traveling wonderfully. It's all very stable, um, decent margins, decent returns, and you wouldn't think anything of it. You'd think this is just a, a boring insurance business where nothing much was happening. In fact, unpack all that, and gross margins have been declining for at least four to five years. Um, they're about a quarter of what they used to be, uh, a quarter less than what they used to be. So that's a significant de decline in a short period of time. And what's happening here is that the, um, the hospitals and the insurance businesses are fighting about how to allocate higher healthcare costs. Um, and it's not clear who is going to win in that battle. 
but it is having a toll on margins. And so far, I have to say, I think the hospitals probably have the, the, the better end of the stick here. This is a, a fine business. Um, by, by the way, those margins have remained stable because this is, and once it it managed to cut an awful lot of costs. I, I don't think that's repeatable. So I would count on um, lower costs covering up declining profit margins. So I would expect to see margins to actually start here. And it's a very tough spot that they're in. I think in the absence of higher government intervention, it's going to be hard to sustain profitability for both Medibank private and for NIB. Um, so I would be avoiding this sector as a whole. It's, it's a, it's a well-managed business, as is NIB is, in fact, a wonderfully managed business, but uh, they're in a tough spot, and even the best management can only do so much, um, and, and I'd be avoiding. Yeah. Okay. Nathan? Yeah, look, yeah. I agree. It's a, it's a bad sector. Um, macro is against it. Uh, more young people are uh, pulling out of health insurance left, right and centre. Um, most of the health insurance have been watered down, so you might have had the insurance, but if you looked at the fine print, you're losing... Uh, features every six months. Um, so this thing is getting, you're getting less uh, and the cost is going up. So, and they've had a pretty good run with the government allowing premium rises for a number of years. Yeah. And that cycle is going to end. Um, I think it's going to be really tough in a recession to argue that things should be going up when prices are falling. Um, I think the sector is benefited from a lot of upside from the government allowing premium rises against uh, cost fights against hospital. At the same time, uh, they've been able to cut cost and make the numbers look good. Um, all of these things are running out. I think yep. it's just tough. Yep. There's a lot of good stocks to pick. This is not one of them. And yep. NIB, I think it's a, uh, as Gura put, it's a better one than Medibank for me. And I wouldn't touch that either. So right. So uh, like Gora, you just avoid the sector. I think the because... insurance sector overall has problems. These yeah. health insurance have even bigger problems. Because yep. every time they put their premiums up, they get caned. Yeah by the public and the government always says they're going to look into it. So it's that risk that, particularly if we're in a recession or coming out of a recession. Well, well the problem is all the young people who generally don't claim anything yeah. are falling out of the cycle. Yeah. And the old people who yeah. claim everything are coming into the cycle. So yeah. you've got this problem that yeah. a demographic challenge will hit them. And because of equalization, they really can't compete, really. Yeah. Um, it's a fair competition. So at the end of the day, they're in this yeah. macro that doesn't work for them. And, and a recession, a deep recession, is affecting younger Australians too. So exactly. they're going to be shorter cash and more incentive to leave. Okay, um, so avoid that sector altogether. Uh, Macca sends us in our next suggestion. Well done, Macca. This is a stock that's been all over the place, has been riding the coronavirus thematic like a lot of companies have been going up. Misoblast, a med tech, uh, treatments for inflammatory ailments, back pains, things like that, Nathan. Uh, but also came up with a COVID angle a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's been a roller coaster, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. I've looked at this stock over 10 years. I'm, right. I'm a big fan of biotechs because it's a blue sky you know, you're shooting in the dark. Yeah. Um, it's like the basically the same risk return as a, a minor explorer. Right. You're spending a lot of money having a you know dig a hole and hope you hit it. Um, it's high risk. There's no doubts about it. Mesoblast works in stem cells area. They have yep. been there for a very long time. They've raised a lot of money over the time, uh, and they've built a pretty good portfolio. Um, they've just raised money um, again on. After, a, you know, if you're a you know, biotech uh, company and you haven't mentioned COVID, you're not worth anything. Yeah. So they've mentioned it and they're in the play yeah. and they're on, they've had the up and they've done the pump and they've raised the money. Um, look, 
do I go into a biotech after it's been pumped up? No. Right. You want to pick a, if you want to play the biotech space, you want to be, uh, you're buying blue sky. So you want to buy a few and you want to buy them when nobody wants to look at them and right. hold it through for three to four years. And at some point, you know, you get this market loves it for some reason. Yeah. And that's when you out. get out. Right. <laughs> you sell the optimism. You don't buy the optimism. You sell the optimism. So right. it's had the optimism. I'd be taking okay. money off the table. All right. Okay. Uh, Gaurav? Yeah, look, I'm just at, I'm genuinely flabbergasted by this business. I don't understand why it garners so much investor attention and why so many people want to buy it. It's, it doesn't fund itself. Um, it raises money every year. Um, I, it, there's, there's no real saleable product here. This is a really interesting science experiment, but um, you know, this is not really a business. I, you can't invest money in this and be serious about calling yourself an investor. This is a, a big no and a void to me. I feel like sitting down and lecturing just anyone who wants to buy this thing. Um, after lecture, slapping them across the head for it. This is, no, you don't buy this. Oh, I do love Goran. <laughs> Wait, did you buy it at no. some stage? Oh, a long time ago. Um, oh, God, give him a lecture. I know, a good he knows, he knows. I, I, look, I've had a few biotech uh, exposures over time, uh, but not when it's running like this. You buy it when nobody wants to touch it. And you buy the unique guy in a new thing because when people get excited, this is what happens to the stock. Right. All right, just to recap, Gaurav, so that'd be a no from you. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and no, yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. Good on you. Uh, these two are a lot of fun. That's why we enjoy having them on the call each and uh, every week if we can. Um, our next uh, stock, our fourth one, how do you pronounce it? Sinlaid or Sinlaid yeah, uh, Milk, a New Zealand dairy company. Um, had a, a poor earnings guidance in back in February, Gorab, didn't it? But I suppose. People invested in it would think, oh, gee, would it be like an A2 milk? Is it? Well, this is actually the supplier to A2 milk, um, yeah. David. Um, Sinlay is mostly an A1 milk producer. So they actually own um, the cows and the dairy processing facilities and, uh, and the packing facilities, all of that. They actually own all that asset-heavy business and they supply 100% of A2 milk. A2 milk... Um, buys their stuff, puts it in the in a box and puts a label on it and takes all the profit. I mean, all you need to know about this business is that its entire market cap is $1.2 billion. And A2 Milk, who does nothing but put their label on their product, has a market cap of $12 billion. It's worth 10 times as much. Wow. And this is not the fault of Sinlay Milk. This is actually a very well-managed business. I, 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 kind of, I respect what the, the people running this have actually built here. But they're just in the wrong part of the industry structure. And as an investor, one of the great attributes you can build is trying to identify where in the value chain, um, who in the value chain collects the most cream and invest in that part of the value chain. And here in this, in this milk dairy value chain, it's the brand owner who collects all the, um, all the cream of the profits. And that's where you want to be invested. I just don't know why anyone would buy this business, to be honest, um, when you can buy um, A2 Milk, who, who yeah. collect all the profit from all the hard work and enterprise that goes into Sinlay. Sinlay has tried to correct this. They've actually purchased a few brands um, and they bought a few um, uh, cheese and butter brands um, in New Zealand, which are kind of global. Well, they come to Australia anyway. 
And that's a good start. I think you'll see further acquisitions from them down the line, trying to establish a brand portfolio. But that's hard to do. And I need to see some evidence of that kind of working before I get interested. Um, for me, I'd only buy this below asset backing. Um, and it's about twice asset backing for the moment. So although right. it's a it's a, another well-managed business, I, I wouldn't be buying this, no. Okay. Because, uh, Nathan, that was going to be my question. Can they, It's a bit like Bega cheese, isn't it? It's sort of, can these dairy companies who run the cows build their own marketing offshoot? Could they build an A2 marketing empire that sits off to the side or does the culture just not mix? Uh, I think it's hard. Um, It's it's been hard to do that. It's like um, a number of people have tried that and it hasn't worked out um, because that's where your sweet spot is. Unfortunately, Graf's right, the margin is all with the guy with the branding. Yeah. So A2 Milk is, in theory, is just a marketing company. Yep. So that's what they do. They do it really well. And Graham and I have had arguments over this one. Uh, we always struggled to see what it was and they did it well and they've got to that critical mass where they become what it is. And you sit there and go, wow, they've done a lot better than I thought, yeah. uh, which is true. Um, can someone like Sinlaid suddenly turn around and become an A2 Milk? No. Uh, it'll be very much against them. Um, Oh, look, they could, but it's a long shot. That is not what I would be backing. Um, So you would, Graf's exactly right. You look for the guy with the brand. That's the guy who's got the margins, has the capacity. Unless you have a unique product. So for example, one of the small caps I look at is Clover. Um, So it's an addition that gets added to food groups, including Mm. baby milk powder. Now they're a unique process that they, they get sort added of that, on to, a, a non-smelly fish oil that's, that's right added so you get the mega added on right yeah. so the beauty of them is because that's a unique offering and they get a play on with that yeah it's actually not a bad play in that context yeah so i would play them because they're a unique offering they they what yeah. they do is added to other products and now you're becoming a much more a higher standard in a lot of places for baby milk powder to have these um, yeah. omega-3 added on so that's an advantage for them so what they produce is unique but it comes to milk there is a massive oversupply globally. Um, milk prices have been falling for a good part of a year. Yep. There's plenty of organic milk producers, even in Australia, um, at share prices, very, very low level. Um, so I don't think this is one you're gonna be backing when the industry is oversupplying. Um, so again, I think you know it's one where it's a sector that you don't usually back anyway because they don't have the marketing or the margin advantage. Yep. And on top of that, there's an oversupplied market. So it's a no-no for me. So are you you more inclined to Clover as well, Gaurav? I haven't had a good look at Clover, but um, yeah, I wouldn't dismiss what Nathan has to say. He also actually was instrumental in changing my mind on A2 Milk, which I was initially very uh, hasty. I judged very hastily early on and was wrong <laughs> early on. Wow, wow. getting too much today. That's twice. I know. I'm waiting for lightning. Have you said anything, said anything about him? I'll send him no, at the moment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, not enjoying this show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Um, Nathan Eswaran has sent in a suggestion for our pit stop today. Uh, he wants a view on Auckland Airport. Look... There's a lot of people looking at the travel and related stocks for obvious reasons. They've been yep. belted. Uh, a lot of them have raised, and so has Auckland International Airport. Um, it doesn't get, the, uh, I suppose, the popularity that Sydney airports does, but I actually think it's probably better. 
uh, for mm. where it is. Um, I think if you look at the recovery cycle in tourism, it's going to be slow. It'll take time. Yeah. But the advantage New Zealand has, it's got a pretty good brand. Yeah. And Auckland International benefit from it. The biggest kicker for Auckland International Airport is the property around it. Yeah. They own it. The development upside is a big kicker. They've already raised the money. Uh, and the reality is, if they're going to be opening up, linking to Australia, a lot of the Australians, you want to go overseas, yeah. in the short term, might be the only option is to go yeah. to New Zealand. So yeah. they'll benefit out of that. So I'm not a big fan of jumping into travel um, sector at this point because everyone thinks it's going to bounce and everyone thinks it's cheap. <laughs> Yeah. That's usually a bad sign. Yeah. I think it'll take longer than what people think. Yeah. But if you had to play it, I think Auckland International Airport yeah. is a pretty good play. It's, a, it's been put to me, it's a better deal than Sydney Airport for Agreed. the fact that Sydney just leases the land. Yeah. Um, isn't Auckland Airport the biggest property developer in New Zealand at the moment? Or Potentially. Like given given yeah. the performance of uh, Fletcher Building, I'll take Auckland International yeah. as a developer. <laughs> okay. Um, Gaurav, what do you think of Auckland Airport? Yes, that's, you're right, David. It, it's the biggest property developer in New Zealand, and that's a function of all the property it owns around the airport as well. So it has a long-term plan of developing that property into um, logistics, warehousing, and hotels. It's a very well-thought-out um, and long-term strategy that I think um, is terrific, and it's a big differentiator between that and between itself and, and Sydney Airport. Um, the other thing I really like about it is it's quite an under-monetized um, asset. Um, Sydney Airport, in many ways, is a pioneer. It was, it was one of the first airports to really um, build sort of a, a Westfield model inside an airport and became a, a retailer as much as a airport. Um, and on top of that, they've really pulled the, the pricing lever on parking oh um, in, that, in that facility have as well. Have they lost? <laughs> those things are really... Have they? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> None of those are, have really happened in um, in Auckland. And it's a really good general point to make. You know, when we're investing in a business where we're looking out into a future that we don't know much about. And so we, we really want to have lots of different ways to win. And I see that in Auckland. You know, you can win from the property development. Um, it's going to be tripling its regulated asset base over the next 10 years. And, and the RAB really determines how much money it earns. Um, uh, from from flights and those regulated um, activities. So, so that's an automatic um, profit increase just built in there. Then you've got pricing power from um, retail, you've got pricing power from um, from parking, and then you've got development profits coming up. There's just lots and lots of ways to win, and it, it's hard to see really um, how you do too badly out of this if you're a patient investor. I, I agree with Nathan. I think it's going to take years before we get um, full capacity going through these assets again. And so it's one for the patient, but it is one that, that yeah. sensible investors should be looking at. But see, a lot of these travel stocks, are, as Maitre was saying, have really bounced. The, the web jets, the flight centres, it hasn't. Auckland Airport's just bubbling along at the moment. Is it one of the ones to, um, if you were going to look at travel, this is a better one because it hasn't got ahead of itself? Well, there's a, there's a reason why it hasn't really moved that much, and it, it is um, quite dependent for the moment. It's got a lot of development potential, but for the moment, it is quite de quite dependent on tourism um, yeah. for a lot of its revenue. Remember, the other the other thing about Auckland is that where Sydney is one avenue amongst many for getting into Australia, um, Auckland has been designed as a single destination to get into New Zealand. It doesn't yeah. really compete with surrounding cities. Or regionalities to get into New Zealand, so it's it's all much much better 
monopoly asset than I think Sydney Airport is. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to compete with um, with its sister cities. But that is also one of the things that's hurting at the moment. Now, six stock, um, uh, Gaurav uh, Macquarie Telecom, um, sort of a, obviously mm. a telco in a lot of cloud-based up data centres. Yeah, I actually think this is a very misunderstood and completely mispriced business. Um, it's one that we own in our portfolios. I've covered it for a little while. Um, I think it's a wonderful business that's um, completely under the radar. So let me just explain um, what's happening here. So Macquarie, there are two parts of Macquarie. One is a um, conventional sort of corporate telco where it just sells, you know, voice, data, broadband um, services to, to big corporate customers. And, and that's an okay business. They've made a good go of it. They make okay returns of it and it's reasonable, but it's not anything um, devastating. It doesn't have great advantages. Um, but next to that, the, the company's actually built a, um, a data center business and they've done that quite slowly. They currently own two small data centers. You know, one is in Canberra, one's in Sydney. Um, uh, with those data centers, they service a lot of um, government departments. So 40% of all federal governments are actually customers of NextDC. Um, the one in, in Canberra is known as the bunker because it's, it's got a really good reputation for being safe and secure. Um, uh, so they've done well with those. They're actually expanding the Sydney database, uh, the data center, um, tripling capacity over the next few years. And that is absolutely transformational for the earnings um, of this business. I actually think they can make about $100 million in operating profits um, post the, the data center build out. And I think um, the this, this stock, which is now, so we bought this about $20 a share. It's now about $30. I think it's actually worth about 50 bucks a share. Um, if, if you start counting um, that full data center capacity as profit. And um, that data center capacity includes a lot of sticky customers. It's very service heavy. It's quite different to what NextDC is doing. What NextDC, NextDC again, I think is also misunderstood. This is a property business. NextDC should be thought of in the same way that Westfield is. You know, Westfield has yep. anchor tenants and they collect huge, huge rents from all their specialty retailers. NextDC does exactly the same thing. They get huge anchor customers and then they charge huge amounts to small um, customers to get inside that data center to connect to those big customers. It's an ecosystem. It's not a technology business. But anyway, um, uh, Macquarie does something similar to that. It presents a lot of connection opportunities, but it, it provides, um, it specializes in what's known as um, hybrid cloud. So the ability to connect to um, individual servers as well as big public cloud platforms and that's a very sticky business indeed it includes a high level of service revenues on top of the um, hosting revenues so this is actually a remarkable business that is going for a song within the current structure i think if they mm. renamed this macquarie cloud the share price would go up 30 percent tomorrow but um, it's run by two very conservative brothers who started it and have built it up from nothing and what I love about these guys is they don't return phone calls. They're not interested in speaking to investors and um, they just want to focus on running their business. And this is a management team that we're more than happy to um, sit wow. behind. Nathan, that is, me. that is a big rap. Yeah. Is he right? He is right. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's hammered me about this stock for a long time. Yeah. The, have you taken and, the advice? I have. I mean, I it is a very high quality business, no yeah. doubts. It deserves the multiple it's on. It's not cheap, uh, yeah. but it deserves what it's on. And he is right. Uh, people tend to think um, 
this a bit more of a telco rather than what it is, which yeah. is more of a data center. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a management is very high level. The biggest problem for this stock is liquidity. So you don't get the average fund yeah. manager jumping into this because you get in, you can't get out. Right. So you get you need to have the discount for that risk. Um, risk is one of those ugly words fund managers don't talk a lot about till it hits you on the face. <laughs> and we have seen that multiple times in the last couple of years. And so this one, I would say it's priced for that risk. Right. So it is a high multiple because it's so good, but the liquidity hits you. Right. So yes, management doesn't care about the market because they do well, and the market will take that hit for it, but it will have pullbacks with the market. So I would wait for a pullback to buy in, right. but it is not one that's going to shoot the lights out. Don't expect it to suddenly run 50, 60%. But it's one where you pull back, you buy it, and sit on it. It's at thirty bucks, and it should be fifty. Oh, look, it's, it's it's one that can keep growing. I right. think it's it's one of those ones that are proven over time that they're not out there to make a quick buck. They grow yeah. the business uh, in a measured way and consistently. And they've been at the right side of it. The cyclists on their side, I think they'll do well. I think fifty, sixty dollars is not out of their realm of possibility, but it will have pullbacks with the market because of the liquidity issue. Right. So um, those opportunities, like we had one, um, you know, a couple of months ago, it fell down to 20 bucks. Yeah. That's a good time to jump in if you can get the shares. Yeah. Um, so this does trade very thinly. So it's perfect for retail on a pullback. Yeah. Um, institutional clients will struggle to get hold. Right. Okay. All right. So uh, that's, that's a big rat uh, from both of you, from Macquarie Telecom, which, which is great. Um, our seventh stock, uh, Nathan EQT Holdings, uh, equity trustees, the old trustee business. Um, all of the usual trustee services, bit of funds management as well. Yeah, look, it's uh, boring, yep. uh, solid, but when boring and solid suddenly has downgrades, danger. And right. it's had a few downgrades. Yep. So it's come back. Um, you know, the reason you're there is not for the high beta play, you're there for safe and security. And when they're downgrade, market panics. Right. So you've had a pullback. Um, is that turned around? number of these businesses have had a pullback. Um, so I would say a lot of the administration plays are under pressure. Uh, margins are under pressure. Um, so I don't think I want to be jumping into that sector right now. It's a sector thematic. Yeah. Um, and this is, again, another one that's not that liquid. So I think it's, you want the discount. Um, it's had a bit of a bounce. I would wait for it to come back and buy. I do like the management, but it's on okay. a downgrade. I, I'm not a fan of buying something in a downgrade because you just don't know how much further the problems are. Yeah. I want to wait till the story turns around and I get an upgrade to buy into it. Yeah. Again, one of those things I always tell Graf, if you've had a multi-upgrade cycle, like this one has had, and when they go into a downgrade cycle, don't touch it till the first upgrade because right. you can have multiple downgrades and people don't panic till the second or the third and then they dump the stock. Right, and it's okay. a liquid stock, so it right. can come back a fair bit. Right. So, look, I, I like it, but I want a discount. I want the first upgrade to buy in. Okay. Gaurav? Completely disagree. <laughs> we, um, we own this stock and um, I think it's a terrific business, actually. It's a really high quality business that gets under the radar, flies under the radar far too often. There are two parts of um, equity trustees, the old equity trustees. Um, the one is a, it's a private wealth business, which is kind of uh, estate planning um, and managing of trusts. This is a 
dull, boring business, um, but it is a growing business. Um, and the competitive side of the industry is quite attractive. Ten years ago, there used to be nine competitors, and that's dwindled down over the years to four, even though the size of the industry has dramatically increased. And three of those competitors um, are sort of wrapped up in other businesses as well. So this is one of the few um, pure specialist um, uh, trustee services company. And that's important because a lot of regulation requires an independent trustee. And, and that's where they have a bit of a little advantage in that they can, um, you know, one of their competitors, Perpetual, for example, but Perpetual is part obviously of a large um, advisory and fund management group. So, um, you know, they can claim a, a higher degree of independence than, for example, Perpetual can. Um, and that's actually driven a lot of business to them. But this, the second part of that, um, the, the company is a, um, is, is a really attractive corporate business. And they do two thirds of all um, fund managers um, holding onto their um, uh, RE licenses. Uh, and for that, they actually take a slice of the funds under uh, uh, management. Um, which is wonderful economics because it means that there's, you know, as the market rises and as um, asset collection increases, their revenue naturally rises, even though they don't have to um, pour any capital into the business or do anything to grow that revenue. So it's 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 naturally built in um, a, a growing revenue stream at, at always reasonable margins. So it's a really good business. It's protected a lot by um, by government um, barriers to entry, regulatory barriers to entry. And to compete against these guys, you have to generate a huge amount of scale. So they have over $100 billion of funds under administration. And um, even then, they generate very low margins. Uh, and though, though that, that low margin is actually a barrier to entry because it prevents right. startups from, from trying to take them on. You have to generate so much. I think it's a great business. Um, and uh, I think there's a decent growth path ahead um, as regulation changes and forces independent um, owners of licenses to to take up more of the industry. Um, so this is a buy from me. Um, okay. I think it's attractively priced. It's fallen because there's been a huge market correction and because it generates a slice of funds under administration of its clients, naturally that fund number has fallen as well. So, you know, yes, there was a profit warning, but anyone who has owned this business would understand why that's the case. And it doesn't concern me too much at all. Okay, all right. So. So a big tick from Gore over no from uh, Maiton, and I think he knew the big tick was coming and sort of set him up. So so it's good to see you've just ignored him, Gore, <laughs> which is great. Um, now, Gorev, what about Romelius, um, the gold mining and, and production company? Peter has sent this stock in as a suggestion. Um, sort of one of the smaller gold miners. Yeah, so I've, I've been, I start out in um, uh, being a resources analyst. I, I, was, I was a resources analyst for about a decade um, before I was finally freed of that burden. Um, <laughs> and in my time analyzing mining stocks, I learned that I never got gold miners right. I, I look back at all my, um, my mining recommendations. It's not so much what happens to the share price. That's not really how you judge your worth as an analyst. It's how well did you get the business right you know how well did you predict things moved i always got it wrong. in fact most mining can entirely wrong because gold miners are very hard you know you're talking about parts per million of gold um in very large deposits you're talking about really fragile economics um, and um, single commodity risk it's it's really hard i'm actually cannot 
convinced that analysis for gold miners adds very much at all. You do just as well as throwing a dart on the picking them rather than listening by here. Um, but having said that, I've come across Romelius um, for a couple of years. Um, I owned the stock myself for a couple of years. Um, uh, it's very modestly endowed, so it's got a very it's got a poor quality asset base, but it has maybe the best management team in the entire industry. Um, what these guys have done with a modest piece of of, uh, of land is sensational. Um, so I think they're very good deal makers. They're very conservative in the way they run their balance sheet. And most importantly, they care about returns on capital, and that's how they run their business. This is not really, I don't think of this as a miner. I think of this sort of as a manufacturing business. They have a couple of plants, um, processing plants scattered around WA, and their job is to fill processing plants with, um, with dirt and get money on the other side. They do that quite effectively. If you must own a gold miner, I think this is not a bad one to own at all. It's terrifically managed. Okay. Nathan? Oh, look. I, I, you that, know, that's sort of bit backhanded, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Don't I, get I, into gold stocks, yeah, but gee, yeah. they've got he knows, management and it's not, he not knows very what, good Yeah, assets. I know. He knows what I'm going to say. Um, look, we've been, we've been pushing gold for a good part of a year. Yeah. Um, it's On a macro model, it stands up quite well as a, um, I suppose, a non-correlated asset uh, yeah. trading against what the global macro was, um, and it still is. Um, the negative debt scenario in real terms with where the bonds are works well for gold. Um, so global trade, all of these things works yeah. quite well. So in the short term, we, we look at it three to six months yeah. where the macro is and gold still sits up quite well. Um, we like gold stocks. Um, generally, I, I tend to look at where the ETFs play because the ETFs tend to be the biggest buyer of the gold, uh, spot gold, and they push up stocks oh. as well. Right. Um, so if you look at the global ETFs um, in the last four months, they've had the biggest buy on gold uh, equities. Um, that they've had in the right. last decade. Yep. So the equities are doing quite well. Yep. So when we were talking about it probably three, six months ago, um, I was seen as an outlier. Now everyone loves gold. Right. Right. Every my broker out there is pushing gold. So you don't so, get out? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I think the cycle is not, all the easy gains are done. A lot of the stocks right. have run 50 to 100%, yeah. uh, especially small caps. Um, so this is where you've got to be careful which stock you pick. Remelius is a good stock, but it's not as liquid. It's one of the smaller ones. Yeah. So when you're getting into the mature side of a cycle where everyone likes the sector, you've got to be in a liquid one because when the story goes wrong, there's a lot of people trying to get out at the same time yeah. and you need to be able to get out the same way. So it's a crowded trade now. Um, so in that context, I tend to look a bit more bigger. So I would look at someone like a Saracen or someone wow. like an Evolution or a bit smaller Silver Lake or Gold Road. Um, they've been managed well. Most of the gold stocks, I have to admit, are, doing, are being managed a lot better now than they were 10 years ago. Um, they used to be cash burners on a, on a constant basis. Now yeah. they're actually, mind you, the macro works for them, so everyone looks yeah. good when the macro yeah. works. So uh, it just comes down to the gold price. It, the gold price, I think, in the next three to six months is more likely to go up than down. So yeah. gold stocks hold up here. They're not expensive for where the gold price is. Right. Um, so in that context, I think gold stocks will do right. well. Uh, but better options than Remelius. Yeah. All right, uh, Nathan, our ninth stock, Incitec, uh, pivot, explosives company, fertilizer. Yeah. So in mining and agriculture, I suppose, yeah. a crossover services company. Uh, it's one where it's been the death of value fund managers. Right. This has been value becoming better value by the day. 
mm. and uh, everyone pushes the stock everyone's been in it um, and they've been adding to it it's been a tough play um, in that sector you've got orica Intertech and uh, new farm yeah. um, a bit different to each other new farms got more agri play yeah. um, look all three have struggled orica for me is probably a better one right. um, simply because they seem to have got over their operational issues the macro is still bad for everyone they're not killing yeah. it capex for most of the miners are pretty low so they're not blowing stuff up at this point yeah. um, so mining services overall are struggling so explosives tend to struggle agriculture is picking up but you can imagine the amount of uh, trade wars everywhere agri sector yeah. and the droughts and the floods and so forth bushfires hasn't helped everyone but yeah. look i think it's okay it is cheap so yeah, it's yeah. not one I would say, go and sell it. If you have it, you've taken the hit. You might yeah. as well hold yeah, it. Yeah. There's a lot of funders trying to get this up. But I just don't see the positive news in Intertech. Right. I prefer Orica because I think the bad news is out. If when things pick up in the mining sector, Orica okay. will be the one that right. recovers first. And I think if there is going to be a recovery, it's likely to be in the mining related. Right. So Orica will be the better player. Okay. Gaurav, what do you think? Has a... It's, it bounced up and is now down again. <laughs> Worst quality, large business ASX. Um, and uh, let me explain that a little bit. Um, Intertech Pivot and Orica, for that matter, are really in the business of industrializing the manufacture of nitrogen. Um, you know, nitrogen is the, is, is the key. They also do participate, but um, it's, it's nitrogen is, 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 is the key product. And they make nitrogen... Um, through um, uh, using an awful lot of energy to distill it into a uh, and lots of energy. And there's no shortage of air. There's no shortage of energy. This is, I mean, they're just not making a product that, that generates all that much value that other people can't make. Um, every time yeah. um, um, people pour... Um, manufacturing facilities into um, jurisdictions with cheap energy um, and you end up with a whole slew of new production and it depresses prices, depresses, depresses asset prices for years and the game goes on again. Over time, this has never made money. I don't mind cyclical businesses either. I think if you can, you know, I think there's, you, you investors are able to pick um, when to get in and out of stocks. But even then, this doesn't have the upside of, say, a mining business or other cyclical businesses. Even at the best of times, it's only marginally profitable, making average returns on capital, even in the good times. And in the bad times, it makes lousy returns on capital. It's yep. not a good deal for investors. They they went to the US um, to build a new plant, which is a sensible thing to do. Um, and everyone did that. And there was an oversupply of um, uh, um, of ammonia. So, right. It's a difficult business to make no. money from. Uh, Gaurav, GUD Holdings, sort of that automotive water business, is it? Yeah, it's got a little water division, but the, the most, most of this business is really about um, uh, finding little niche car parts and, and rolling them up into this, um, yeah. into this uh, sort of retail distribution structure. Um, they deliberately try to insulate themselves against um, the onslaught of electric vehicles. So most of their product, about 60% of their product is non-engine related. So it's mostly things like filters, um, brakes, suspension, um, and electrical electrical parts. Um, it's an okay business, I guess. 
I just uh, for me the Babcor is a much more better it's a much better proposition right um, Babcor actually owns the distribution network and and you know we were talking earlier about where the cream is in an industry value chain that's where the cream is you really right. want to get parts to the mechanic as fast as possible that's a better service than getting um, the part which itself is a commodity so Babcor sure. over GED okay. any day all right Nathan a uh, quick one. Basically, it's been in a downtrend for about two years and has been downgrading consistently. So yep. no need to be there. Okay. Back call? Uh, that's option? probably the best. But for me, I'm not jumping into the car sector right. yet. Everyone's okay. trying to bottom pick there. Okay. All right. Uh, so if we just re- recap on the uh, on the last five, Macquarie Telecom. No, we covered that. Um, um, equity trustees. Uh, a yes from Gorab, a no from uh, Mathan. That's because Mathan thinks Gorab's boring. That's why he likes it. Uh, Remelius, um, well, well run gold miner uh, from uh, from Gorab. Uh, Mathan, a no. Incitec, uh, Pivot, a no. Orica, if you're going to look in that, um, uh, that sector is probably a better bet. Uh, no for GUD, but for Gorab, uh, Batcorp is a better proposition. Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor, thanks for joining us. What have you got on Intelligent Investor at the moment? Uh, people should go and visit the website and sign up, shouldn't they? Damn right, they should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got we do um, we've got um, managed funds and uh, and research, um, so people can actually um, if they don't want to do their own work, they can let us do it for them, or they can use our yep. thinking and do it themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good site. And Nathan, Blue Ocean Equities, you do the full service of advisory trading in the share market, but very much towards private clients as well? Yeah, high net worth clients and mainly institutional clients. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.